Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 36, it says, And he was telling them a parable, that no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says the old is good enough. In Luke's description here, in Luke chapter 5, between verses 36 and 39, he described this as a parable. Well, technically it's not really a parable in the sense that Jesus was not really teaching parabolically. If you were to look at Matthew's account or Mark's account of what the Lord Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 through 17, and Mark chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, neither one of them mentioned that this was a parabolic teaching. I personally believe that the reason why they did not mention Jesus speaking in a parabolic way is because he was speaking very directly to the Pharisees. He was not really speaking parabolically to them. However, Luke, being a Greek, may find it a little bit more difficult to see that this is not really a parabolic teaching. In order to truly appreciate this, it's very important to understand the expectations of the Pharisees of the Messiah, what they really expected of the Messiah, what they expected him to come and do and accomplish, and what his role was truly to be in their society, according to their own beliefs, what they really believed about what his role would be in their lives. To understand this, is necessary to understand the history of Pharisaical Judaism. It goes back to the 6th century BC, when the people who were in captivity in Babylon acknowledged that the reason why they were there in captivity was because they had sinned. So while they were there in captivity, they decided that they would make some changes, that they would alter their way of life, alter their living standards in such a way that they would no longer sin, so that when they would be permitted to return to the land of Israel, they would be allowed to stay there and would never be taken out into captivity again because they would be obedient to the commandments of God. That was what they were expecting. And so given this philosophy, there were many people who got together and discussed the subject of how should we live in order to ensure that we don't violate any of the commandments of God that were given through Moses. And there were various schools of thought that evolved as a result of this. They were headed up by people that were referred to as the Sophers. The Sophers came to an agreement that they could certainly disagree with each other, with regards to how they would live their lives. However, they would not disagree with Moses concerning the laws that he gave. And so while there were some disagreements with each other about how a person should actually live to ensure that they do not come within the boundaries of violating the law of Moses, they did agree that they would not disagree with Moses. This, of course, changed several hundred years later when the Pharisees made the radical decision 
that the Sophers did not truly disagree with each other, but in fact they were in agreement, and so given this philosophical shift in beliefs, they had to find some way to reconcile the differences of the Sophers. And so it was around the 2nd century B.C. that they began this process of trying to reconcile the differences. But what they found was, was that even though they took the collection of different opinions, of different beliefs about how a person should live in order to ensure that they don't violate the law of Moses, even though they took all of the different opinions and attempted to merge them together so that they could be reconciled with each other so that the Pharisees could have one deterministic lifestyle, even though they tried to do this, they all recognized, it was well understood, that there were some holes in this theology, that there were some holes in this belief which means that they did not have all of the laws that they believed that they needed in order to ensure that they would never sin. They did believe that. They did acknowledge that. Certainly that would be obvious because on occasion one of them would sin. But in the midst of that belief, they did believe that as long as they sincerely pursued a knowledge and understanding of life and a knowledge and understanding of the scriptures that they could perhaps continue to fill these holes and eventually come to the perfect lifestyle by which they could live and so that they would no longer sin. This was a belief of the Pharisees. Now, in recognizing that they had some holes in their theology or they had some holes in their lifestyle, the way that they described this was to say that they had holes in their garments that their garments were garments of righteousness based on their lifestyle. This was their philosophy. And they believed that there were holes in their garments that the Messiah would find a way to patch and fill so that they would have a complete set of garments or a complete set of rules and regulations by which they would live to ensure that they would never sin. They believed that the role of the Messiah was to come and present the patches to patch their garments in such a way that they would no longer have any holes in them. So likewise, they also use the concept of wine in the same way, by saying that wine was the teaching of the scriptures. It was something that provided for life and for life-sustaining ability. Wine was looked at in that context, and so they believed that the Messiah would come and present teachings that would enable them to know what to believe and what to do what instructions to follow so that they would live a holy and righteous life and never sin. So when the Lord Jesus came on the scene and he told them that he was not going to provide them with patches for their garments or new wine to put into their old wineskins, that's what he was referring to. He was referring to their belief concerning patches on clothing and wine being put into wineskins to replenish what was missing. That's what the Lord Jesus was referring to. He was speaking directly to what they believed concerning their own way of life. Now, of course, I talk about this history in more detail in another program called Do Not Do According to Their Talk a Note. And so I would like to encourage you to listen to that program in order to get some more details with regards to the history of Pharisaical Judaism. It's very important to understand that because it gives you the necessary foundation in order to truly appreciate what the people were hearing when Jesus was speaking. But in this program, I would really like to focus on this notion of the new wine versus the old wine and the new garment versus the old garment, because I believe that it's very important, especially as the Lord Jesus was presenting a new covenant. You see, the old covenant was about obedience and repentance, and the new covenant is about grace and mercy. 
they are completely unrelated with regards to what the covenants promised, what they were given for, how they were to be used, what issues they addressed. For example, the Old Covenant addressed the issues of the flesh, and the New Covenant addresses the issues of the Spirit. In the Old Covenant, you could be blessed in your flesh. In the New Covenant, you could be blessed in your spirit. But there are also some other very important issues. For example, in the Old Covenant, you would have no opportunity to know your God through your obedience and repentance. However, through the New Covenant, you do have an opportunity to know your God through receiving his grace and mercy. And so they are relatively unrelated in that sense. But to the Pharisees, they were the same thing. The New Covenant was to be in addition to the Old. It was to be something to help complete the Old. That's how the Pharisees looked at the New Covenant. And so when the Lord Jesus came to speak to them and introduce himself to them, he had to make it very clear very understandable that he was not there for the purpose that they thought that he would be there for. They believed that the Messiah would come there and teach them how to finally stop sinning. And he told them very directly that he was not there for that purpose, that he was not going to provide them with the teachings that they thought that they were missing. Instead, that he was going to come and present them with teachings that were completely unrelated to the teachings that they had before. That was the wine, the new wine that the Lord Jesus was referring to. So also with regards to the clothing that they believed that they had about them, the clothing that they thought that they had was clothing that was this righteousness that was wrapped around them like a garment, and they believed that the Messiah was going to come and patch any holes in their clothing through the additional laws that he was going to present to them that they needed to know so that they could follow the true path of righteousness in completion. But he was there to tell them, no, I'm not going to give you some clothing from a new garment and have you put it on the old one because it's just going to make things worse than they are right now. Make things worse. In other words, they needed to take off those clothes, off those old clothes, and put on the new clothes. And we know those clothes as the clothing of righteousness that the Lord Jesus gives to us as a result of what he did for us, not what we thought we could do for him through our obedience and repentance. Now, when the Lord Jesus spoke of this in the context that things would be made worse if he was to try to do what they were wanting him to do, that doesn't mean that there was something wrong with the Old Covenant and that it needed to be replaced with the New Covenant. Again, the Old Covenant addressed different issues than the New Covenant addressed, and that the Old Covenant can still be used today effectively to deal with those same issues, just as the New Covenant is used today in order to deal with the issues that it was to address. If you try to combine the two, then you do make things much worse. Under the Old Covenant, things were bad. Under the New Covenant, things can be okay. But if you try to merge the two, then things become much worse. And this is why. Because the Old Covenant was given for the purpose of stirring up more sin in our life. It was given so that the Lord could use the Old Covenant to establish the structural foundations within the Israelite society so that the Messiah could come out of the Israelite society. But what is more important in this context is that the Old Covenant was given in order to stir up some more sin. It was not given in order to stop anybody from sinning. It was given so that more sin would be stirred up within the people's hearts. That was what it was for. It was given in that way so that eventually the Lord could come personally 
and explain to the people that while they are trying to be repentant and obedient, they certainly are not. And so the Old Covenant could be used in order to demonstrate to an individual, to show an individual that they are sinners, that they are in need of mercy, that they need the mercy and the grace of God. That was all that it was good for. It was good for its prophetic inferences, for the foreshadowings. It was good for the religious and political infrastructure through which the Messiah came. It was good for those things. But in terms of being good for us to know how to live our daily lives, it certainly did not do anything to change the hearts of the people. That's important to see. And so if you try to combine the new covenant with the old, then things are just going to be disastrous because the new covenant says that you have received the grace and mercy of God if you surrender to him. But if you try to take that and put it into the old covenant, then this is all that you can get out of that. All you can get is a theology that says just live as righteously as you possibly can. But when you fall short, grace and mercy will make up the difference. That's all you can get. And when you do that, things are going to be much worse because you're going to destroy the teaching of the new covenant. You're going to destroy the wine in that sense. You're going to tear apart the garment, the clothing of righteousness that the Lord Jesus came to provide for us. You're going to end up shredding that because of your belief on how it was to be applied as compensation for where you fall short when you fall short of obeying and repenting. That's not what he intended. And so you take it and you make it much worse. And then you destroy the old covenant, the old garment and the old wine. You tear that apart because you suggest that you have found a way to minimize the importance of it. You minimize the importance of it because you say that, no, you don't really have to obey because the grace and mercy of God will make up for where you fall short. And I certainly do not believe that. I totally reject that notion. Although most people in Christianity do believe that today, they do believe that that is the new covenant, that it is the way that we can be righteous with God when we fall short. And I certainly do not believe that. Both covenants need to remain intact for the Lord to truly accomplish what he came to accomplish with each one of his people who turned to him for salvation, for restoration, for resurrection, and to have a relationship with him. Look, when I'm talking about the new covenant in contrast with the old in this context, please understand something, and that is that I'm not saying that the new covenant has been given so that people can have an excuse to go out and sin. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Let me put it to you this way. If a person could stop sinning by knowing the law and by following the law, If that was possible, I would be all for it. I mean, seriously, if we could go to someone and tell them that they could stop sinning if they only know what is right and wrong, if they were only properly informed of the laws of God, given the correct set of commandments, if they were only given the correct laws and told to follow those, and only if they were sincere about trying to follow those, then they would stop sinning. If that was true... I would be all for it. I would. I would be right behind it. I would certainly tell people, look, all you need to know is what is good and evil, and you can be a good Christian. You can be like Jesus, who was God manifested in the flesh. Certainly, you can be like God if you only know what is good and evil, if you only know what the true 
laws are, those that were given by God himself. If that would stop people from sinning, then I would certainly be in favor of it. If I could go to somebody today and say, look, I can recognize that there is sin in your life. Let me properly inform you of the sins that you have in your life and tell you that they are wrong, that God does not want you to live that way. If that would do it, if that would keep a person from sinning, even if they truly wanted to live that way, if it would really work, then that's what I would teach. I certainly would be in favor of it. But we were not created to function this way. We were not created to function on the basis of the knowledge of good and evil. We were not created to function on the basis of the law of God. God did not create the standard of sin and righteousness, either one of those standards, and say that he has created humanity for the purpose of living in obedience to his commands. That that's why he made you. He made you because he needed someone to obey his commands. He needed someone to be sinless, because obviously he was having trouble with his angels, and so he made you instead. That is not true, but that's what people somewhat believe. They may not say it directly, but indirectly, through other things that they do believe, that turns out to be the end result of their belief, of their theology, and how they end up living in their daily lives. That's what I see happening in the Christian world around me. Another way that the Christian world does this is they say, let's start out with the commandments that Moses gave. We'll take out those commandments that are no longer applicable, those that have to do with the ceremonial aspects of the nation of Israel, but we'll keep the rest. And then we'll add to those commandments, we'll add to those the commandments that Jesus gave while he was conducting his ministry, commandments that he gave during the Sermon on the Mount, and other commandments as he was speaking to other people throughout his ministry. We'll take those and we'll add those to those commandments that still apply, that were given In the law of Moses, this is another way that we in the modern era are doing exactly what Jesus said he did not come to do. He did not come to take his new teachings, his new wine and add it to the old teachings, to the old wine. He did not come to take new pieces of cloth and patch the old garments with those pieces. That certainly is not what he came to do. But we do that in the same context by suggesting that the teachings that Jesus was giving were to be applied to us today. But they were not. The reason why is because he was teaching under the Old Covenant. He did proclaim the New Covenant. He proclaimed the New Covenant in this context when he tells them that there is some new teaching, that there is truly another garment, just not what they were expecting. But he wasn't able to really present the new teachings. He wasn't able to present the new garment because they were still bound by the old, because they still did not recognize and acknowledge that they needed the mercy of God. Why? Because they believed that they had some righteousness of their own and that they could build some new and more righteousness through additional means of repentance and obedience in their daily lives. That's what they believed. And we struggle with the same beliefs today. The same beliefs are still promoted today. They're just done so in a different way. Now, again, I'm not saying this in order to give people an opportunity to give an excuse for the sins that they are committing in their life. I'm only saying that if you want to get the sin out of your life, it's going to have to happen in a very different way, because this way certainly doesn't do it. You can perhaps reduce some of the sin in your flesh, but you're never going to deal with the sin that's happening in your own heart. If I threaten you enough, I can normally get your flesh under control. 
Or if I promise you enough blessings, I can often get your flesh under some degree of control. But it doesn't do anything to change the condition of a person's heart. To do that, there must be another way. And there is, and it's through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. But that, of course, is another subject entirely. Now, having said that, again, I don't want to give the impression that the objective of the Christian life, that the objective of the new covenant, that the objective of the new teachings or the new garment is to get a Christian to stop sinning. I don't believe that that is the objective of the Lord Jesus or the objective of the new covenant. I do believe that that can be a side effect, certainly, that a person can experience a reduction of sin in their life as a side effect, but that certainly is not the goal. That certainly is not the objective. The goal and the objective is something else. You see, the Pharisees were looking to see how they could stop sinning in their lives. That was their goal. That was their objective. And in many cases in Christianity today, again, the goal of many Christians is to stop sinning. The goal is to be repentant and obedient to God. That is the goal of many Christians today. And I totally reject that goal. I think that it's complete insanity, absolute insanity, to try and live your life with that goal as your goal. I think it's ridiculous. It's absolutely insane. And if you don't believe me, then that's fine. Just live your entire life and eventually come to the end of old age. And when that day arrives, when you're really old and you're ready to pass from this life to the next, then think about and reflect on your life and see that you were never able to get all the sin out of your life. In fact, in some ways, things got worse and that your heart became much more hardened to the love of God and to the love of your neighbor. If you're willing to be honest, I sincerely believe that at that point you'll recognize that what I am saying is true. Instead, I really want to encourage you to consider that the goal of the Christian life is not to stop sinning, but instead it is to know your God. It is to know Him as a person. It is to have a relationship with Him. And what I mean by a relationship is that certainly you may have many opportunities to speak with Him about the things that are on your heart. However, I sincerely believe that there is a wonderful opportunity for Him to speak with you about the things that are on His heart and relate to you the things that are important to Him to speak to you about the forgiveness that he truly has, and to speak to you about the acceptance that he has, and to speak to you about the way that he sees the world that he is a part of, to speak to you about the love that he has for the people that he is involved with. That is something that is not available in the Old Covenant, that is not available in the law, and that you could never remotely come close to experiencing if you are trying to live a life of getting all the sin out of your life. Because if you do, then you're never going to know his love and his forgiveness and his acceptance because you will always have this subtle hint of belief that he does hold your sins against you in some way. And so if he does, then he certainly cannot accept you and he certainly cannot love you. He has to live And you have to live with a perpetual consideration that he is disgusted with you because you are never able to be as holy as the Lord Jesus. And so when it comes to the Old Covenant, you need to recognize and acknowledge what it was and what it was for. 
It was to show you that you needed grace and mercy. And the Lord Jesus came to teach the Old Covenant because it certainly was the covenant that was in effect until after he died. And during his ministry, that's what he taught so that people would finally come to recognize and acknowledge that they had a need for the grace and mercy of God so that the new covenant could go into effect and people could receive the grace and mercy of God so that they could have an opportunity to begin to grow in a relationship with him on the basis of his forgiveness and his love, not on the basis of repentance and obedience, which a person could never achieve. Through receiving the grace and mercy and the love of God, you can begin to experience a relationship with him if you will only take what he is giving, receive what he is offering, and live on the basis of what he has already done for you. And so don't underestimate the incredible importance of what the Lord Jesus said here in Luke chapter 5 about the new garment and the new wine, that it is not something that is used to superimpose on the old covenant or the old way of living, that you must consider it something completely separate and independent and have no relationship to the old at all in terms of how you are going to live your daily life. The most important way that I can think to describe this again, especially in our current cultural context, is to say that the Lord Jesus did not provide grace and mercy to make up for the difference for where you fall short in your Christian life of trying to be repentant and obedient. That to live that way is a complete violation of what the Lord Jesus mentions here in terms of the cloth and the wine. For more information on this subject, especially as it relates to law and grace and how we live our daily lives, at this time I'd like to encourage you to consider listening to the series of programs that I did on the subject of spiritual warfare. I also did a series of programs on the Sermon on the Mount, which would also be very helpful with regards to this topic and will give you some additional understanding with regards to how to make the separation between the Old and the New Covenant what it means to live a life under law, and what it means to live a life under grace, and how the grace of God will actually transform you from the inside instead of living according to the law of God, hoping that you will be transformed from the outside in, which definitely has never worked. The New Covenant is definitely dealing with the issues of the heart, whereas the Old Covenant deals with the issues of the flesh. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,